Today we're going to make our way back to the uh, infrequent series. I started an infrequent series two weeks ago and I expected it to be a whole lot more infrequent than it is. Uh, here we are two weeks later back in it and unless God changes my heart, we will be back in it again next week and quite possibly, depending on how far we get next week, we'll be back in it again the following week. My intent was just to have this to drop in every now and then to kind of separate phases with uh, our Psalm 119 series, but uh, God is kind of directed differently, and so we'll just follow what he leads and, and uh, directs. Just to give you an idea, today we're talking uh, specifically about the matter of questions that arise from death and questions that arise about the afterlife. Now you look at me, and some of you are already doing it, I, I knew I was going to get looks like this, like, you're kidding me. On Mother's Day, you're going to talk about this? You're going to talk about death and the afterlife on Mother's Day? But I want you to know that I really think that this is going to be not only an informative study for us today and then next week and the following week if that's the way God leads, but I think that it's also going to be one that is very encouraging for us. I believe that God is going to show us and open our hearts to some things that maybe were controversial before. In fact, next Sunday, just to give you a clue, Next Sunday, two of the questions we're going to answer, and again, this is always if God continues to lead that direction. One is, if someone has committed suicide, can they go to heaven or are they forever excluded from heaven? Another question we're going to ask next week and then try to answer is, how do I deal with the grief when I get to heaven of knowing that some of my family and friends are in hell? I mean, these are really tough questions, and these are emotionally involved questions. And so I'm telling you, it's going to be hard, but we're going to try to tackle them with the grace of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ and the love that flows from Him as well and see where God takes us. That's just a couple of things we're going to deal with next week. But today we're going to take this a little slower. We're going to move into this because there's a question I have to ask to begin with to set the foundation. In fact, if we don't set the framework here, then the rest of the answers are going to be a little bit skewed, possibly in our imaginations. We have to set the groundwork. And so, if you've got your study guide, get ready to write, because question number one is simply this. What does it take for a person to go to heaven? What does it take for a person to go to heaven? It's important for us to establish this because a lot of these answers are going to come from the afterlife when we get to talking about them. And so if we haven't established this up front, then it's possible that, it, that we will misunderstand and just think that, well, everybody's going to heaven. And so before we get into that mixed up state, let me just set the stage and tell you that the Word of God is very clear with how we go to heaven. So many people believe, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. It's all based upon how good I am or, or how much good I've done more than my bad or whatever else may come into the minds of, 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 of humans. And yet the Bible is very specific. It tells us, first of all, that we must know some things and we must do one thing. <clears throat> For example, I must know that I'm a sinner. 
You say, well, what is a sinner? That's, that's a word I don't know or I've heard but don't really understand. A sinner is someone who has rebelled against God and has broken His commandments. Okay, so God lays His commandments out very clearly. He tells us that here are the things you have to do. You are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. And you are to have no other gods before him. And you are not to commit adultery or bear false witness or lie or steal or commit murder. And we could go on and on because it, while we may only know ten of the commandments, there are actually hundreds of them that God gives. And God says, now, what I expect from you is a level of perfection so that you can go to heaven on your own. And this level of perfection means that you keep my commandments perfectly. You don't break them. You don't mess them up in any way. But Romans 3.23 gives us some very sad news when it says that we have all sinned. And therefore we fall short of God's glorious standard. Because of my rebellion against God, because of my sinfulness against God, I have broken God's standard and I cannot go to heaven. Now that's a very scary thought, isn't it? I can't get there. The Bible tells me that in Romans 6.23 that the wages or the penalty or the payment of my sin is death. That's not only physical death, but it's also eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Eternity in a place called the lake of fire. This is something where people are tormented day and night forever and ever. So then my understanding is, if I can't go to heaven, the only other place there is to go when I leave this life is into eternal punishment. And that really concerns me. But the blessing in this is that God doesn't leave us there. In fact, the rest of Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but, it, it adds the good part on the end, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what is this gift all about? I mean, if there's a gift that can prevent me from spending eternity paying the price of my own sin in the lake of fire, then I want that gift. What do I do to get that gift? What is that gift all about? And the truth is found in Romans 5.8, where God says that He commended or showed His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the truth is that Jesus Christ died in our place, there is death required for my sin, eternal death in my case. But Jesus stepped in to die in my place. He died as, as my sacrifice so that I wouldn't have to go to eternal damnation, but could in fact enjoy eternal life. Wow. So then how do I receive such an incredible gift? Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So then what I have to know is that I am a sinner. I have to know that I have broken God's commandments and therefore I cannot go to heaven on my own. It's impossible. I have to know that Jesus then stepped in to say, I will be a sacrifice to pay that price for you. And I need to know that I need Him to do that. Otherwise, there's no hope for me. I need Jesus to be my sacrifice. And Jesus did just that for me on the cross of Calvary. And I need to know that after He died on the cross, three days later, God miraculously put His life back in Him. We don't understand that. We can't imagine that. And yet nothing is impossible for God. And so I have to know I'm a sinner, that Jesus died for me, and that God raised him back to life again. And then I have to be willing to confess him as Lord. Whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever will, will declare Jesus Christ to be Lord, Savior, God of their life, will be saved. Now what does that mean? Confessing that Jesus is Lord of my life means that I want Him to be Lord of my life. Which means there's going to be a big change because from that point forward, I'm not going to be Lord of my life anymore. My work is not going to be Lord of my life. My bank account is not going to be Lord of my life. My possessions, my power, my prestige, my friends, my family, they're not going to be Lord of my life anymore because I've got a new Lord and that is Jesus Christ. God who knows our hearts knows if we are honest that we truly desire that. And the Bible says that whoever does so in truthfulness, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, while it's true that then those who know this and do this will be saved, it is also true that those who do not will not be saved. So those who do will go to eternal life. Those who do not will go to eternal damnation. It's such a scary prospect. And yet Jesus made it clear there's only one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. And so is there a way to eternal life? Thankfully, yes, there is. Can I gain that on my own? The truth is, absolutely no. It's only available through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now that then opens up the rest of this for us. It allows us to establish the framework of where we're going and what this is all based upon. And so let's now move to the second question. This is a question that uh, is somewhat controversial. There will be a little bit of discussion possibly about this. And uh, honestly, I'm going to share with you what God has shown me, what I believe to be true from the Word of God. But uh, if you disagree with that on this particular question, it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, we won't argue and fight about it. We'll leave as friends, I promise you. I won't make a big deal out of it if you don't believe exactly the way I do about this question. Now, if there's a problem with the first question, then we've got a big problem. Because the Word of God is very clear on that matter. But what about this second question? Does the Bible speak against cremation? 
Does the Bible speak against cremation? Believe it or not, this is a question that rose through a lot of people's minds. And I think the cost of funerals may have something to do with that. The, the cost of cremation is so much less expensive. And so they're wondering all the time. And, and while I don't have people directly asking me this question, I can see that uh, a lot of people are wanting me to kind of fill in the blanks. And so what is the answer? I'm going to give you the answer, but I hope you do more than just write down this one word. I hope you write down some supporting thoughts for this as well, because the answer is no. No, the Bible does not speak against cremation. Now, I'm going to show you both sides of this, and then I'm going to show you why I believe that the first side I present to you is not the correct stance. Okay? Uh, people who believe that the Bible does speak against it would say, well, you think about the people in the Old Testament. The, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, they practiced uh, burial. There was no cremation. When you get to the New Testament, you see that the Christians did the same thing. In fact, we know that Jesus was placed into a grave. They'll also use uh, 1 Corinthians... Uh, here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, which says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Spirit of God? Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Therefore, glorify God with your body, the Bible says. And they'll say, okay, now i got to believe that that points to the fact that we can't be cremated. And yet, please understand what the Apostle Paul is discussing in this. We have to bring everything into context when we talk about Scripture. You can't take a verse out of context. If we do, we can make it mean anything. But we have to bring it into the context of what's going on in the rest of the chapter. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul was talking about those Corinthians who called themselves Christians who were involved in sexual immorality. And in verse 20, beyond what he says in verse 19, I just quoted to you verse 20, he says, you need to, to, to honor God with your body. You need to honor God with what you do with your body while you are living. Therefore, in my opinion, that verse is not applicable to what happens to us after we die. Now, I want to give you some groundwork for my understanding of that. We know that when we die, the body returns to dust. You may hear people say at a graveside, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, I'm talking about that because the, Bible begin, or the body rather begins to decompose and return to what God created it out of. God created us out of dust. And he said, someday you will return to dust. In my opinion, cremation is just speeding up the natural process of decomposition. It's just speeding things up. People will say, but now, if I'm cremated, then when God raises our bodies at the last day, then how will my body be resurrected? Because it's just going to be ashes. A couple of thoughts. We know that... Uh, that Christians down through the years have been burned at the stake for their faith in Christ. In fact, if you just, you just read about one guy, Nero, and you read about how he tortured Christians, how he put them up as lamps and set them on fire to light his garden parties. 
And you know that throughout history that was multiplied many times over, many different occasions. And in fact, it's still happening in our day today. Christians are dying for their faith in Christ. And many of them are being burned alive. You know that they're going to ashes. Wasn't by choice, certainly. And cremation is a choice that is made by someone in the family. And you have to know that the Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah that nothing is impossible for God. That why would we think that God at one point could take a handful of dust and create a person? That to me is somewhat amazing. But why he could do it at one time and then later when they become ashes or dust again, he couldn't do it again. And God is very capable. Nothing is impossible for God. So in my opinion, what we have to see is that cremation is not a matter of right and wrong. You can choose to be cremated. You can choose to be buried. I don't think that it matters that much. What I really think matters is what we do with our life while we're alive. What we do with our bodies while we're living, I think, is really what is significant to God and what matters to Him. Now, the third question then steps this up a little bit. Okay, once death has happened, then uh, people go to heaven, those who knew Jesus Christ as Savior, as we saw in point number one, or question number one. People go to heaven. So then, can those people in heaven see what's going on on earth? Question number three. Can a people in heaven look down and see what's happening here on earth? And here's my answer for you. It's cut and dried. I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. Now there are some people who will claim, uh, claim to know, and, and in my thoughts, that's opinion. And let me show you why. Because they'll use... Uh, Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, as proof for this. They say, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. Okay, since we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And what they say is, when my loved ones who have gone on to heaven, they're now witnessing what's happening on earth. They're watching this take place. But the truth is, once again, when we put into context Romans 12 and verse 1 with what took place, or excuse me, Hebrews 12 and verse 1 with what took place in Hebrews chapter 11, then we come to understand that the witnesses are probably something much different. Chapter 11, we see the hall of faith where many believers who stood and died for their faith are listed there for us. And what we have to understand when he comes to chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, therefore... When you see the word therefore in the Bible, you go back to find out what it's there for. It's not just there for no reason. So it's placed there for a reason because it's referring to something that was just mentioned. In chapter 11, it's referring to these Christians, these believers who stood on their faith. And so we understand then that the hall of faith is mentioned again in chapter 12 and verse 1 as this cloud of witnesses. They were witnesses and in fact are witnesses to the faithfulness of God. They are witnesses to the goodness of God, the promises of God. And they are an example for us to follow. And so we have this great cloud of witnesses. Now, while I believe that that is not supportive then of... There being a cloud of witness of people who are watching us on earth. Uh, 
It is also true that the Bible never shows us a place where they can't see us. And so we have to then come to the place where we say, well, if God had wanted us to know this, he would have listed it out pretty clearly for us. So then I don't know for sure that they can see us, and I don't know for sure that they can't see us. If we back up to question number two, the same rule applies here, where nowhere in the Bible is it commanded us not to be cremated. If this is something that defiled the body or that God completely despised, then he would have told us. He doesn't just leave it to us to say, well, you figure it out. You know, if there's something he wants us to know, he tells us. And so when we move now to this question, God doesn't show us either way. So we just have to say, well, you know what? This is one of those areas that he is kind of up in the air. God just wants us maybe to form an opinion, but not to, to fight and, and bicker over it because it's really not that big of a deal. We're going to find out when we get to heaven. So between now and then, let's just love each other and quit, quit fighting over something as petty as whether or not somebody can see us from heaven. Right? Okay, so since we've got that settled, let's move to number four. Question number four. Will we recognize friends and family in heaven? Will we recognize friends and family in heaven? I want to give you a couple of reasons why I believe the answer to this is yes. A couple of reasons. Number one. Uh, you may remember that one day Jesus took uh, Peter, James, and John, and he took them to the top of the mountain. It's the, the place that, that's now known as the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was transfigured into a heavenly being again. He had given up that right when he came to this earth to be a man, fully human, fully God. He gave up that right. But on this particular occasion, he was restored to that heavenly being. He glowed. But there appearing with him were two guys from one of them thousands of years before Jesus lived. Moses. And Elijah came with him. And the Bible says something very interesting. It alludes to the fact that the disciples knew who they were. Now that to me is amazing. I don't think for a minute that Moses had this tag on that said, Hello, my name is Moses. I don't think that's what took place. I think God had given an insight to them to understand who was standing before them. And I believe in like fashion, because we will be like our Savior when we get to heaven, that we will have the same insight and the same ability to know people, even those people that we haven't met here. I think God's going to give us the ability. There's some additional supporting evidence that I would submit to you, and that is based upon the story of King David. Now, you may remember what happened in David's life. David rebelled against God during one period of his life and maybe another period as well as we've seen in Psalm 119. But he rebelled against God and he committed adultery and he had a child that came from this adulterous relationship. And God told David, he said, because you've rebelled against me, because you've disobeyed my commandments, that child that was born in this relationship is going to die. And you're talking about a horrible, sad, we can all understand that can't we 
The Bible says that David got on his face and he cried out to God. He fasted and, and wept during that time that the baby was sick, hoping that God would hear him and would deliver that child. And yet the baby died anyway. And the people who were serving David, they were so afraid to tell him that the baby had died because they said, if he's, if he's acting like this while the baby's still alive, what in the world will he do now that the child is dead? We don't even know how he will respond. He may just go completely out of his mind. David heard what they were saying. And in 2 Samuel, you might want to write this reference down, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. 2 Samuel 12, 22 and 23. David answered. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So what are we seeing here? A couple of thoughts. Number one, we see that David thought that when he got to heaven, he would recognize his child. Now, what age the child would be at that time? Would he still be an infant? Would he be a teenager? Would he be an adult? We don't really know the answer to that. I mean, our loved ones who have gone on, what age will they be? Will some of them be aged? Will some of them be young? Does it depend on when they die? Hey, we don't know the answer to that. But what David was telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was that when he gets to heaven, he's going to know his child. Know his child. Now, I tell you, this verse gives me a lot of encouragement because of children who die. I recently had the funeral of a, of a baby, and I tell you, that's a tough funeral to hold. But I got to share with them this same passage that David said, I will go to them. In other words, David knew exactly where his baby was going to be. There was no question. There was no if. Well, this baby didn't have a chance to know Christ. Therefore, he can't go to heaven. No. The blessing of God's amazing grace is that God extends to those who do not understand the kindness of giving them entrance into heaven. And David's word is proof of this. My baby, one day, I'm going to see this child again. One day, I'm going to go to where my child is. One additional thing here, and that is relationships in heaven. Let me just throw this out. It doesn't really tie in very well, but this is a good place to talk about it. The Bible lets us know that relationships are going to be different in heaven than they are here on earth. Some of you who've had uh, a spouse who died and then you remarried or, or, or your spouse will die someday and you're going to remarry, this may enter your mind, well, you know, when I get there, which one am I going to be married to? Well, Jesus was talking, and he talked to the uh, religious leaders of the day about this very thing. 
And he said to them in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30, he said, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And what we understand is that we're going to be a family. The family environment we enjoy in our own little families and in our church family is going to be greatly uh, multiplied. And that family environment will not be diminished. In fact, it's going to experience what true love is all about. But the marriage thing is going to kind of go by the wayside. That's for here, that's for this time, not for hereafter. Well, there's one more question I want to answer. And I think this one will bring us to a really good place to conclude. I'm going to move through it fairly quickly. But the question is this, what happens to the body, soul, and spirit at death? What happens to the body, soul, and spirit at death? So I just want to approach this from an understanding that the answer is very simple, and that is separation. Separation. If you're writing down a one-word answer, then that's the word you'll put down, separation. There's going to be a separation of the body, soul, and spirit. Because we know, the Bible tells us, that this body we live in is not really us. It's just a tent. It's what our spirit and our soul lives in for the time being. And at some point, this body is going to die. That's what's dying, the body. Soul and spirit will live forever somewhere. For those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says at the time of this separation, the body is left behind here to be buried or to be cremated or whatever else, lost at sea, whatever else may happen. But the soul and spirit will be immediately taken to the presence of Jesus. The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 So for the believer, the person who's placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the moment his body dies, the soul and spirit is immediately ushered into the presence of Jesus. We find this also in Luke chapter 16 where Lazarus dies and was carried by the angel into Abraham's bosom. But what about those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Those who have rejected Jesus and now they have died. The Bible says there's also this same separation. The dead body stays, but the soul and spirit will live forever. We also find answer to this in Luke chapter 16. If you'll go home and read that chapter, I think you'll find it eye-opening. The Bible says that there was a certain rich man who died. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. So while the body dies and stays here, soul and spirit live somewhere forever. They do not die. They do not perish. For those who know Christ as Savior, we will enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ. For those who have rejected Him, so what do we do with this information? 
You know, in my opinion, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, I hope that that is extremely evident. I hope that, that there is a, there's, a, there's a war going on inside of you right now where God is drawing you to Himself. And so what I wish you would do with this, with this information is in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. The instrumentalist will come. Jason will come to sing. And we're going to open up a time of invitation just where you respond to this invitation to come and know Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to know more about Him, if you'd like for us to share His plan of salvation again with you and give you the opportunity to know His Son, then the invitation is open and that's the way I hope you respond to this message. For those who know Christ as Savior, then my, my thought is, hey, because of what we've seen today, what we'll do with this information is we know that we've got to share Jesus Christ with others. We can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to let other people know that there is a way to escape eternal damnation and enjoy eternal life. So then what are you going to do with this information?